0: Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word. I'm your Bible teacher, Jason Jimenez. I'm so glad you guys have tuned in. You know, look, Stand Strong in the Word exists to help people like you and me to learn more about the Bible. You know, through the years as a pastor and apologist and speaker, you know, I read a ton and write books and I love it and I'm so thankful and, and researching stuff for articles and teaching classes and teaching people about worldly things, about how to share your faith with other people of different mindsets or worldviews or religions and backgrounds and beliefs and things like that. But one of the things I've come to find out is that as Christians ourselves, we have tons of literature, tons of things that are out there, but yet we don't have some really good resources that help us piece together the Bible. And I would have to say, my friends, that is Ultimately, my desire and my passion. So, stand strong in the Word is to take you, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, through God's Word, but do it in a chronological order. That way, we, we bring the proper context and historical significance. That way, it will explain more clearly and shed light to new things for you. And I do pray also for your family. Now, this is not a podcast that records my preaching that I do uh, in churches throughout the country. This is my time to sit down, to open God's Word, and to pray that you and I would be inspired and be taught through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray. Father, I just pray for this message. I pray for this time through your Word. It's your message, Lord. And so help us, Lord, to grow and to stand strong in your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to kick things off in talking about what's known as the intertestamental period. Now, for some of you guys, you get what I'm saying. Others may be a little bit confusing. It's also known as the 400 years between, in the English Bible, in the Old Testament, the last book is Malachi. The new one is the book of Matthew. And so this 400-year period of time is also known as the silent years. Now you think, Jay, why are you getting into this uh, and not just getting into the Gospels into the New Testament? Well, for many reasons, as I mentioned before, context, 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 understanding historically what is going on gives us a better understanding of what's in Scripture oftentimes. And so the intertestamental intertestamental period, for many Christians, they don't realize what all happened between the Testaments. They don't know this period much. Usually we go from reading Malachi to Matthew without knowing any of the developmental history that really shaped the world, the language, and the Jewish religion. So let's look back in this period of time, and I'm going to give you guys some historical accounts that took place going all the way back to the the division or the splitting of the the northern and the southern uh, tribes of Israel back in 721 B.C. Now, this 400 years, as I mentioned, is known as the silent years. And that comes really from Psalm 74, verse 9. that says, we are given no signs from God, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. Now, this silent years, again, let's not in it to mean that the nothing went on. Tons of things happened historically. And I'm going to give you guys a brief summary on today's podcast. But what's necessary to understand why the term silent years for this intertestamental period between, again, Old Testament and New Testament is because, as Psalm 74.9 rightly stated, there are no prophets giving signs at this time. So Malachi being the last. And of course, when we jump into the New Testament, we're going to see that there was a voice in the wilderness. And this whole period of time for 400 years, a lot of things happened but no prophets on scene until John the Baptist comes on scene. So let's look back real quickly in the book of Malachi. Now Malachi leaves us with the understanding that the Jews had returned from the Babylonian captivity, if you remember that. And also, when they return after the Babylonian captivity, which was prophesied by Jeremiah that was happening during the time of Daniel, they came back worshiping in a smaller temple with no Jewish king ruling over them. Now Zerubbabel, is the principal leader of the Jewish people. And he's also the rightful successor of King David. Now, what we see taking place, though, at this time, was this power was shifting from the east to the west by the Romans at some point. And we know a lot of the history about Rome at this time from an individual by the name of Josephus. He was a Jew, and he also became what many believe as a traitor to the Romans because he became a Roman historian. And he wrote about the Jewish wars and the Roman wars. But we also have a lot of history that's uncovered through the books uh, known as the Apocrypha books. Okay? So these are historical books, not inspired in context to the Christian's interpretation understanding, but clearly good books that we can understand history. Now, as I mentioned before, before we get into these six periods of Jewish history, something happened during the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom that we need to look at briefly. This happened around 721 or 722 BC. The ten northern tribes were conquered by Assyria. So, this is when you're getting into the books like 1 Kings, etc. Now, Assyria came in and they conquered the ten tribes and then they assimilated their beliefs and their power. Now, this is where you start getting a lot of mixture, and a lot of Jewish people don't necessarily like this, because the sad truth may be that the Palestinians, the Lebanese, the Assyrians, and people in the northern region and western Jordan may be related to the Samaritans and to the ten lost tribes. Now, that was with the northern kingdoms. What about the southern kingdom? Well, in 597, there was a foreign occupation that took place, within the southern kingdom. And remember, the southern tribes were the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, which were finally conquered. So the ten northern kingdoms were conquered by the Assyrians in about 721-722. And Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdoms, were destroyed and conquered in 597. Now, if you go from that point on, from the the, the division, if you will, and in the, in the kingdoms being defeated, the the northern and southern kingdoms being defeated, let's look at some periods of time of Jewish history that put things in perspective. Because as I mentioned to you before, even though the silent years in this intertestamental period of 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament does not necessarily have a prophet prophesying and doing signs, as we saw in Psalm 79, what's interesting though is that many of the prophets in the Old Testament, to name a few, uh, Daniel being the, the, the biggest of them, and some portions of Isaiah, possibly, give an account of some things that were going to happen during that time. So when you look at the Persian period, because we're going look at six periods of Jewish history. So let's look at the first one. The Persian period was approximately 539 to 334. Now in 539 BC, Cyrus of Persia, He defeated the Babylonians and he allowed the dispersed nations, this is including the Jews, to return to the homelands. Now this proclamation of Cyrus is mentioned in Isaiah, or excuse me, in Ezra chapter one, verses one through four, and Ezra chapter six, verses three through five, which means by the end of Malachi the Jewish people were still under the Persian rule. They would remain under Persian rule until about 60 years into the intertestamental period. So that's important for us to understand. The Persians were still in power as they go into the silent years. 60 years into it, the Persians were still in power. Now, after the Persian Empire, from 539 to 334, you have from 334 to 324, the Greek period of time. Now, do you remember Alexander the Great of Greece? He came in and he conquered Judea. Now, what's interesting though is Isaiah, even though Alexander the Great is not mentioned by name, he is however mentioned by one of Daniel's prophecies and he's known Alexander the Great is known as the notable horn in chapter 8 of Daniel verses 1 through 7 within a span of decade, within a span of a decade. Alexander the Great changed the political landscape of the entire known world at the time. Now, the Jews, when they were conquered and, and Alexander the Great came on scene, they told Alexander the Great how he was prophesied by one of their great prophets, Daniel, that Alexander the Great, they told him, would come and he would be considered a deliverer to the people. Now, knowing the history of the Jewish people to some extent and knowing that this God that they served and worshipped and the miracles that came for people like Moses and others, Alexander the Great responded to the Jewish people in peace and he offers a sacrifice to the God Most High. He gives Alexander the Great, the Jews, the rights to Greek citizenship, ushering in peace between Jews and the Greeks, which also started, by the way, the Hellenistic movement. So, when you get into those periods of time and you see this Hellenistic movement that comes out of the silent years into the New Testament, this is where it all began under the Greek period. Now, as we know in history, Alexander the Great falls sick, and he dies at the early age of 33, which goes into the third period, the Egyptian period of 324 to 204 BC. Now, when Alexander the Great suddenly dies at the age of 33, and he was on the conquest of taking over the entire world, his empire was divided up into four sections. This was led by four of his generals, Ptolemy, Lysa- Lysimachus, Cassander, and Seleucus. Now, these are the four notable ones, which take the place of, remember, he was referred to as the notable or the great horn in Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. But Daniel also, in that same chapter of Daniel chapter 8, predicted that this would take place. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 21, it says, In the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn, there it is, Alexander the Great, between his eyes is the first king. In verse 22, it says, As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power." And that certainly was the case. Now, out of the four fractions or the the generals that took um, part of dividing up the kingdom, there were only two most powerful ones. That was the Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids in Syria. These two groups had a major effect on the Jews. So, for your study, I can't really elaborate too much, but study the Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids in Syria because they had, again, uh, such heavy influence and in how uh, they impacted the Jewish people going into the New Testament. Now, at this time now in this from the Greek period to the Egyptian period, Koine Greek has now become the world trade language. Also around 200 BC, the Septuagint came into effect. Now, what is the Septuagint? The Septuagint was the first Hebrew translate the first translation of Greek from Hebrew in the scriptures. So the Hebrew scriptures were now being translated into Greek. That's known as the Septuagint. So now we get to the fourth period. It's known as the Syrian period of 204 to about 165 B.C. Now there's a known character, another individual, that Daniel. Again, no prophets during this period of time, but many prophets, particularly Daniel, had prophesied of things to come during this time. And one of the ones that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, verses 28 through 31, was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a silly Sid ruler. Uh, created chaos, this man. He was very wicked. He had a wicked rule. The Jews despised him. They revolted. This was known as the Maccabean Revolution from 167 to sixty-three. But let's take a listen to Daniel chapter 11 describing this wicked ruler known as Antiochus Epiphanes under the Syrian rulership. It says in Daniel chapter 11 verse 28, While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the Holy Covenant. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time he shall return and go forward to the south. But it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Now, by 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes... As prophesied here in Daniel chapter eleven, he kills thousands of Jews, including that number where uh, including that number were women and children. So Antiochus Epiphanes had no mercy for anyone, no matter the age or the sex. But not only that, but as prophesied by Daniel, Antiochus does enter the temple and he sacrifices in the temple a statue of Jupiter Olympus which was erected on the altar of burnt offerings in the temple. Essentially what Antiochus does is he takes pigs, which is an unclean animal, and he offers them to the god Jupiter. Now, as the revolt was already breaking out under this rulership, this wicked rulership of Antiochus Epiphanes, at that final moment, an uproar uproar ensues by the Jewish people, which leads to the fifth period known as the Maccabean Revolt about 165 to 63 BC at this period of time as the Maccabean Maccabean Revolt continues the Romans come on scene and we're going to see that in a minute now during the Maccabean Revolt there was an individual named by the by the name Judas Maccabeus also known as the hammer not like a WWE fighter but you got to think about that right now this guy Maccabeus would be the one who would come to the aid of his people, and under his leadership and his guidance, he would help through this revolt of the Jewish people to cleanse the temple after being defiled for over 2300 days. Now once again, this was prophesied in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. Now, this victory had occurred on December 25th, which is, which is known even to this very day as the day of dedication that's celebrated by the Jewish people. Now, Judas and his family were of the Asmonian dynasty, and they started the priestly line in Jerusalem. Now, this Asmonian uh, priesthood would later sign a treaty with Rome against the Syrian empire, which would ultimately lead Rome to come into power over Palestine, which leads us to their sixth and final period, known as the Roman period, from about 63 B.C. to 400 A.D. Now, I like what Red, what Ray Stedman has to say about this, so just listen to his kind of a summation, his summary, to the Roman period of how this came into effect. Stedman writes, quote, As the battles between the two opposing forces waged hotter and hotter, Rome was watchful. Finally, the governor at Enume, a man named Antipater, and a descendant of Esau made a pact with two other neighboring kings and attacked Jerusalem to try to overthrow the authority of the Asmonean high priest. This battle raged so fiercely that finally Pompey, the Roman general, who happened to have an army in Damascus at the time, was besought by both parties to come and intervene. One side had a little more money than the other. And persuaded by that logical argument, Pompey came down from Damascus, entered the city of Jerusalem, again with terrible slaughter, overthrew the city and captured it from Rome. That was in 63 BC. From that time on, Palestine was under the authority and power of Rome. Now Pompey and the Roman Senate appointed Antipater, as the procreator of Judea. And he, in turn, made his two sons kings of Galilee and Judea. The son who became king of Judea is known to us as Herod the Great. Now, in Matthew 2, 1, verse 2, Stebman writes and records this account from the Gospels. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? End quote. So by the time you get into the Gospels, so much as I mentioned has changed. You talk about, of course, back in 721, 722 BC, the ten northern kingdoms, and eventually about 597, the southern kingdoms of Judah and Benjamin have been taken over by the Assyrian people, the captivities that have been taking place, all the different periods, all the way from Syria to Egypt, to the Roman people after the Maccabean Revolution. It kind of puts things in perspective. But another thing that's significant through all these changes by the Jewish people and all the different rulerships that have taken place in the different kingdoms and emperors, another thing that changed was a religious and spiritual development. Now, By the time we get into the Gospels, and this is kind of one of the last things I want to kind of put in perspective before we jump into Matthew chapter 1 and our next podcast, are these synagogues. Now, this is what's interesting because these synagogues, they didn't exist in the Old Testament, but they started to populate themselves and grow and develop during this silent years. Because right when you get into the book of Matthew, you just have these synagogues. Now, what are synagogues? Well, in short, they're just religious educational uh, institutions that sprang up. And so they became the center of Jewish life through rabbis, etc. And not so much the temple. The temple is a place, obviously, of worship and of sacrifice. But the synagogues were really, quote, the church for the Jewish people. But not only did you have the synagogues, but you also had had the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was essentially the supreme civil and religious tribunal of the Jewish nation. Now, real quickly, I want to mention a few sects or groups of people that, again, we are introduced right off the bat. You go from Malachi, then Silence, and then you jump into the book of Matthew, and you have various different groups of people that are mentioned with really no understanding of how they came about. And so let me give you guys a real, real quick rundown about who these people are. The scribes, the Hellenists, the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the ASEANs. So let's look at these six real quickly. The scribes were essentially the expert interpreters in the law and the scriptures. So anytime you see the scribes try to corner Jesus, these are the people that knew the, the entire law, or what we refer to as the Old Testament, by memory. So they were brilliant. They were sharp. This is where the people, the religious leaders were turned to because they the scribes understood and they wrote out and they copied and they kept the the the, uh, the law preserved. Then you also have the Hellenists, these were converts among the Jews in Judea that were influenced by the Greek people and culture. Thirdly, you had the Herodians, this was a political group that advanced their agenda And their reign under Herod the Great. And then you had the Pharisees. These were the more known individuals. The Pharisees essentially were called the Separatists. They were focused on the keepers of the oral Torah. So what the Pharisees primarily focused on was the tradition and the domestic rituals during the synagogue services. They were also known as Hebrew Nationalists. Not the hot dog Hebrew national but they're known as Hebrew Nationalists. So they were all about a rigid and a very strict observance and requirements to the law. Then you also had their enemies essentially, their counterparts known as the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees were the priestly leaders in power during the Hasmonean dynasty. And the Sadducees were friendly with the Romans Because they wanted to preserve their people under the rulership of the Romans, they wanted to conduct themselves as Hebrew people. So, as though the Pharisees, as separatists, were the Hebrew nationalists that did not get along with Rome at all, the Sadducees did, however, the priest leaders, and they were known as the Hebrew rationalists. And finally, you have the Essenes. Now, these were the lesser group of all the people, and they removed themselves um, from their people and from uh, try to get under. Uh, and away from the Roman rule. And and when we uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls back in, in the 1940s, it was the Essenes that had preserved much of the Old Testament that we have today and showed how meticulous and well-kept the manuscripts were during the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, uncovering. So there you have it. This is a, just a brief understanding of the intermes- intertestamental period, or also known as the Silent Years, Uh, But this is very important for us to understand the background and what has shaped and taken place during this time. Because once we get into the Gospels, it's important for us to have this background. So our next podcast, we're going to be getting into the introduction to the Gospels, understanding what the Gospel is and what it isn't, as well as looking at what are the true Gospels, historically speaking, and why the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are put into the Bible as inspired biographies of Jesus, and while certain other ones are not. So tune in next time. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Stand Strong in the Word. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.